Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet coming to you from Greeley, Colorado for episode 160 of season 3, 225 of this podcast. Today is Friday, and thank God for that. It is October 8th, 2021. And I want to talk in this episode about awkward silence. Awkward silence. So I'll set this up. You're at a get-together. You're at work. You're out in public. There's three, four, five people standing around talking. You among them. Someone says something that's just a little extra offbeat. And they chuckle nervously. And everyone else doesn't know what to say, so maybe they chuckle nervously as well, or they shift their feet, or they look around, and next thing you know, you have some awkward silence on your hands. What was that? It doesn't take very long for a regular silence to turn into an awkward silence, and I think... Where it rounds the bend is when we realize, I got nothing. I got nothing, and if I say this thing here to be polite, I'm going to encourage more of this same kind of odd comment, which I don't want to do. But if I say this over here, like, well, that was dumb, well, then I'm going to offend them, which I don't want to do. Right, like so. So you're on the horns of a dilemma. Do I encourage this? Do I say nothing? Do I walk away? And so, while you're on the horns of a dilemma, it drags on just a little longer than you meant for it to. And not just for you. If there's three or four or five people standing around talking, and it happens to all of you, well. That is a response. That 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 no response is a response. Uh, anyway, what's this over here? I I'm I should be going, <laughs> and we're off, and that's it, and we're done. It's such a funny thing. Awkward silences are so uncomfortable. But why? Why do we find awkward silence awkward? Why why isn't it just silence, right? What does it mean when we're in a conversation with somebody and there's an awkward silence and everybody just kind of wanders off? What does that mean? What What drives that? Well, I think in part what drives that is an excess of trying to be polite or trying to be well thought of. Perhaps on all 
parts. This person was trying too hard to impress us, and now we're trying too hard to be polite to them in response. And we're not being honest. To the degree that we are preoccupied with being well-liked, being popular, being thought highly of, we may not be committed to honesty. And the hard thing is, total absolute honesty can get you into some real trouble. If you're completely honest, you can offend a lot of people. And is that pragmatic? Is that practical? Is that wise? Is it necessary? Now, I can ask those questions and I can answer in the negative, but then that leaves me with sometimes just regular old silence, not awkward silence, just the regular kind of silence, which people, for some reason, are all too often uncomfortable with. Let's just not talk. <laughs> Unless you have something to say. If you have something to say, then by all means say it. But if you don't, then that's okay for us to be in proximity and enjoy one another's company and not be chattering the whole time. And sometimes, you know, it's kind of like trying to drive to work. You know, and sometimes in order for a person to merge onto the freeway, you've got to leave a gap. And if you don't leave a gap, well, then how are they going to get into the conversation? Or how is their topic, perhaps? They want to talk about something with you, and they're looking for the words. They're looking for how to put this. And if you're uncomfortable with silence and you rush too quickly to fill every instant with chatter, you might just keep them from being able to merge keep them from being able to bring up what it is that they want to bring up. Sometimes, ironically, less is more. And I have come to appreciate this from being married to my wife. She and I were talking last night. I was listening back through an audio message that I sent to the preaching and teaching group on Signal because we've got this preaching and teaching group at some of you community church. It's several men, maybe a dozen or so. I don't remember exactly how many, but so many men who have been invited to learn more intentionally how to prepare and deliver a sermon. And so we've got this signal group, and the signal group is us being able to share links, particularly Paul Pavlik will share links on there, for instance, to a Martin Lloyd-Jones lecture in the most recent case. And then we can record an audio message or type something up real quick and just send those back and forth to the group to discuss you know, the, the topic of, of preaching, questions that we might have about preaching, et cetera, et cetera. And so I'm listening back through my message last night, and it was... I believe nine minutes, 49 seconds. I don't know why that stuck in my brain. I was trying to figure out the significance of if there was something. I don't know. It was weird. It was a weird thought. Insert awkward silence here. Uh, <laughs> in any event, it might have been longer than it needed to be, this audio message. 
And so I'm listening back through it, and it, I kept getting interrupted, partly because <clears throat> it was nine minutes and 49 seconds, and it was the evening. And we've got kids coming in and out wanting to talk with me, and they're getting ready for bed or wanting to let me know about something that happened today. And so then Lauren comes in. It was, I think, my third attempt to listen back through it. Because I do that. I don't know if everybody does that. But I, you know, just like reading a text, I'll read back through a text after I've sent it to see how it looks to the other person. Somehow having hit send and even seeing the little confirmation that they've read it at this time makes it easier to think about how they're perceiving it right now in this instant, perhaps. And I do that with audio messages too. So if I send somebody an audio message over signal, I'll listen back through it after I send it in part because it sounds different after I've sent it than while I'm saying it, while I'm in process of formulating these ideas. And I might realize, oh, wait, 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 that's going to sound wrong. I should qualify that follow-up message. Hey, real quick, (laughs) by the way, or I forgot to mention or whatever. So in my message last night that I was listening back through, Lauren comes in and she's hanging out, getting John ready, our youngest son, our youngest born son. And I say something in my audio message to the preaching and teaching group about how I too struggle with brevity. And my wife being the encourager that she is, she says, uh, yeah, seriously, truer words have never been spoken. (laughs) Uh, she does not, she does not struggle with brevity. She's very succinct. If anything, she struggles with being whatever the opposite of brief is. It's funny between the two of us, I'm more likely to have to coax more information out of her. She'll give me the two, three, four word commentary on something. And then I'm asking follow-up questions. Okay, well, what do you mean by that? And can you explain this a little bit more? And et cetera, et cetera. But she's also very comfortable with the conversation going back and forth, back and forth, right? That is, I think, part of why she's a likable character. She's easy for people to talk to because much more often she is two, three, four words, a sentence, a sentence of whatever length. And then the other person has a response, has an ability to respond to that idea. Not 10-minute stream of consciousness, as is my tendency. And then there's maybe two or three things that people think they understood from that. I'm going to try throwing this in there. It might be hit or miss. Now I'm trying to decide how to take you. (laughs) Because, boy, howdy, that, that was a lot. That was good stuff, but that was a lot. A lot of good stuff. Maybe too much. Insert awkward silence here. It seems to me as though 
awkward silence is built on the horns of a dilemma. On the one hand, we can encourage this, but then we'll get more of it. And do we want get, do we want to get more of this? Are we sure we want more of this? It's like I made some joke to my daughter last night. Somehow she was telling me a joke about a sleeping frog or something like that. I don't what was it? Something something about a sleeping frog. And I I stopped her and I said, Well, wait a second. Do you know how you wake up a sleeping frog? She says, No. I said, You rib it. And my daughter thought that was hilarious, by the way. She thought that was very, very funny. And it was. It was it was very, very funny. Because I thought that up on the spot. Nobody nobody gave that to Gary. That that was all original. And uh and my wife, meanwhile, she's looking at me with that wife that that wife look that only wives can give to their husbands of seriously that was really lame that was a lame dad joke uh, <laughs> but the point being if you encourage lame dad jokes you will get more lame dad jokes so my daughter will get more lame dad jokes because <laughs> she laughs she thinks they're funny Several of my kids think they're funny and they're amused. So they will get more dad jokes. My wife, in her own way, may encourage just by giving me that look of, seriously, that's that's really lame. Which delights me to no end, by the way. Somehow that is just like gasoline on the fire. But as for the awkward silences... I think we can make awkward silences less awkward by embracing the fact that silence is just a part of conversation. There has to be a gap of some length. It's possible to have gaps that are too long, but it's also definitely possible to have gaps that are too short. Don't give people time to process what it is we're trying to tell them. And when the gaps are too short, then you lose people. If you can pause for dramatic effect now and then, you perhaps will emphasize certain things as much by your silence as you would otherwise through talking. It's funny to me, at the dinner table, seven children, wife, self, we can generate a great deal of noise at the dinner table, particularly when we're trying to sit down and eat, but we want to pray and give thanks for our food before we do this eating, conversing. It is very often that I stand there at the head of the table and I look intentionally. I used to try to yell above the fray, to be heard above the din of battle. But that's kind of exhausting. And actually, even though briefly, it contributes to the maelstrom. So anymore, what I do is I stand there at the head of the table, more often than not anyway, and 
I just quietly look at whoever it is who is still talking, usually at least two, if not three, all talking at the same time. And just one by one, just in whatever order, maybe loudest to quietest, most animated to least animated, whoever's eye I catch first, wait until they look at me, make eye contact, and I give them a nod. That's all I do. I give them a nod quietly, and they have come to understand that that nod at that juncture, in that context, means, hold on, time out. We need to say grace, and then we need to eat, but we can't do either of those things (laughs) until (laughs) you hush. (laughs) So in that case, it's, it's so interesting to me. The longer I've been a father, the more I've been surprised by this. It's so interesting to me how meaningful silence sometimes can be far more effective at getting attention than shouting or even just talking at a normal, even tone. Meaningful pauses, dramatic pauses, if you will. Pause for effect, if you will. Why is it that you pause for effect in a production, in a script, in a sermon, in a talk? Why do you pause for effect? Because all of a sudden, everything stopped Everybody was expecting things to go on and on and on and on and on and on. And you've just demonstrated by stopping that whatever it is that proceeded immediately before the silence was really important. And if they weren't paying attention, all of a sudden they're like, wait a second, what what happened? Right? That's how it works, right? What happened? So all of a sudden we all stop and we turn to whoever it is that has initiated this dramatic pause or silence or what have you. And now we're listening. And I think in less parental contexts, you can still find positive applications for utilizing silence. Not, again, like me trying to get my children to quiet down so we can pray and give thanks for our food. But if we incorporate a comfortability with silence into our conversations with friends, with coworkers, with people in the community, we might just find that A, they have more freed up attention span to listen to what it is that we say when we really do need to say something. So we're conserving our ammunition. And then for two, we might just find that into that gap, they're able to merge with something they'd like to talk with us about, something they'd like to ask us, something they'd like to share with us, what have you. Now, if we suppose that that's a possibility, then silence can be no longer awkward. It can be actually kind of fun. It can be fun to play with silence a little bit. If I'm quietly listening, making facial expressions, which is my tendency. I'm not very good at keeping a straight face, for better or worse. But if we can 
play with silence a little bit. We buy ourselves time. We buy ourselves credibility. We develop self-control. We demonstrate respect. We give the impression at least, if sometimes illusory, that we are very thoughtful and that we are engaged and we are paying attention, which means we probably will get more questions. Hey, what do you think? What do you see? What you doing? I like on Sunday afternoons when we stay late at church and there's conversation going on and I'm not in a conversation. I like from time to time to just sit and watch people. Watch the kids play, watch the adults have conversation, watch the teenagers and the college students chatting amongst themselves, interacting with older adults and also younger children. This past Sunday, I was doing a little bit of that, and Virginia Rogers comes over and asks, how's Garrett? Are you resting or are you waiting for your wife? I said, well, I'm doing both. I'm multitasking. <laughs> and watching people. I'm, I'm doing that also. I'm, I'm watching people. I just enjoy watching. You know, just studying the nonverbal communication between people. And even if you can't hear, maybe especially when you can't hear what it is that they're saying and you can't read their lips necessarily. It's so interesting to see the dynamic between people and how they relate. And you can kind of study people just by isolating those things. And I think there's something to that, right? In that moment, I didn't rush off uncomfortably to find another conversation. I didn't try desperately to cling to the conversation I was having right before then. Once that conversation was concluded, I was content with that. Okay, that's fine. Have a good week. Good chatting with you. And then I sit down. And that silence freed up attention for me to be able to pay attention to what else was happening in the room. Things that I never notice in such detail when I'm in the middle of a conversation, when I'm participating in a conversation. Now, some people find that alone awkward, but in my experience, far more people seem to appreciate that and enjoy that and feel relieved even. You can see it. It's like a, a palpable relief that they don't have to go 100 miles an hour with you. Slow it down. Take a second. And because you maybe have demonstrated that ability to restrain yourself and be self-controlled and be comfortable with silence and you've left a gap for them, you've also taken the pressure off for them to follow suit. You've just made it easier for them to join you in that, which ironically makes it more likely that the conditions will exist, that they will listen to what you have to say. You having led with quiet, not silence like you're giving them the silent treatment or you're being standoffish or stubborn or aloof or distant, but quiet, 
listening. You having led with that kind of silence gives them permission, perhaps even primes them to also listen, to also embrace strategic silence. And that, if we can cultivate that, if we can embrace that in a meaningful way, not in an awkward, self-conscious, embarrassed, angry, distant, self-protective way, but in a strategic, intentional, loving, honoring to God, serving those around us sort of a way, as a way of embracing wisdom, if we can do that, we might just find that we get to know those around us a lot better. We're much more at ease, much less anxious. We have fewer awkward silences because we've just decided that we're not going to have awkward silences. We're not going to feel uncomfortable with silence. Not everything has to be a rush to the next thing. Perhaps we need to allow for more buffer, more space between cars as we're traveling down the interstate, particularly all the more as we are going faster down the interstate. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Let every one of you be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. For the anger of man does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's all I've got for this episode. I got to run. It's a Friday. The sooner I go to work and do what it is I need to do to wrap up this week, the sooner I can come home and start my weekend. But as always, I want to thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.